It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Another month of session without actual session. But a lot happening in North Carolina politics, inside the General Assembly, and in legislative districts. Punches are being thrown and they're landing. So let's start with the session this week. Again, it was an administrative session. There wasn't really anything happening. But similar to last month, these administrative sessions have turned into a time where leaders can talk to the media. They have a media gaggle after they, you know, gavel in and gavel out. And Phil Berger did that this week. He delivered some news to the media that he thought this idea of coming back in December for a lame duck session after the election, he didn't think that was going to happen, which is contrary to what we've been hearing from Speaker Tim Moore. Classic. (laughs) Very much so. So Speaker has always floated this idea that a December session could be in order. He'd like to address Medicaid. He would also like to maybe revisit redrawing those congressional maps. He's saying that the General Assembly has the right to redraw them because the courts essentially drew them last year. So he's saying, look, we're going to take another shot at that. Also, Senator Berger talked about this student loan forgiveness idea. So I think it was last week that Governor Cooper proposed that the General Assembly allow that student loan forgiveness not be taxable. And also, I think Representative Farkas had a proposal. Mm -hmm. And Senator Berger said that's not something that they are going to do. He said it's a federal policy that doesn't have supporting federal law. And that's why he did not foresee the General Assembly taking up. Guess what? The buck stops there. If he says no, it's a no. (laughs) You know, back to Medicaid, he seems really perturbed by the North Carolina hospitals that had a proposal that they submitted. This actually happened on Friday, so it was after the podcast, Mm -hmm. that the Hospital Association put their proposal out into the ether for CON reform, which we've talked about on other podcasts. It appears that they did not take that to the General Assembly prior to releasing it to the media, and Senator Berger was not happy about that as well. He said on the WUNC Politics podcast that it wasn't realistic and kind of explained why. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Essentially, they said if you were a standalone surgery center and you had more than one specialty, you could be exempt from con. And you also had to, you also had to be in a place with a population over a certain amount. 250, I yeah. believe. Yeah. 250,000. So, you know, if you're in Raleigh or something, he explained it like, well, you know, orthopedics are doing orthopedic surgeries. They're not doing eyes and... Um, Your nose and throat. Right. Or- so that kind of did make sense. You're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't seem realistic now that he's explaining it to me. And so he said... That wasn't realistic, and it wasn't moving the ball forward. I'll go a step further in boiling it down. It sounds like the hospital said, we'll do CON reform only for us. <laughs> we don't have to have a certificate of need because we do these multiple surgeries. I mean, good try. <laughs> 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 sounds like Berger is still 75% sure that they are going to pass Medicaid uh, expansion, but he did note by the next biennium. Yeah. Yes, all right. So a lot of a lot of speculation flew on Monday. There was a cancer center named in Chapel Hill versus former Senator Pro Tem Mark Baznai, and both Governor Cooper and Senator Berger were there, and there were a ton of photos that media took of the two of them talking closely. And everyone's like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about Medicaid expansion? And they did not tell folks what they were discussing. I love the tweets that said that they were talking about Sundrop versus Mountain Dew. Yeah. (laughs) Aside from burger making news, there was some other news in NC poll land this week. 
it is starting to get real in these swing legislative districts. We got an ad sent to us this week that is running in Senator Michael Lee's district. He's a Republican down in New Hanover County. Governor Cooper cut an ad. It is running now. It is taking on Senator Lee, saying that he is going to outlaw abortion in North Carolina if he is reelected because the governor needs to keep Republicans from getting super majorities. Let's hear the ad. Your constitutional right to an abortion is gone. And North Carolina Republicans will pass an abortion ban so cruel and extreme, it won't even contain exceptions for rape or incest. As your governor, I'll veto it. But I need enough senators to uphold it. Michael Lee has never voted to uphold my veto, and he never will, especially an extreme abortion ban. But Marsha Morgan will. So the way the ad plays, it could apply to pretty much any swing district, fill in the blank names. And it appears that is what's going to happen with this ad. Yeah, we hear the first 15 seconds, the way it was constructed. You're right. It's going to allow them to fill it in for possibly Senator Sidney Batch running for re-election here in Wake County. You've got Mary Bodie running up in northern Wake, Granville County. We think it could also play in that Fayetteville district between Val Applewhite and former Senator Wesley Meredith. My understanding is that there is some polling going on in Fayetteville right now by Democrats to see if this abortion issue plays the way it does in New Hanover County. We have heard that New Hanover County voters, which, you know, the New York Times said in 2020 was your quintessential swing district. We know that the abortion issue is a topic of concern among women voters across the political spectrum. Senator Lee, we talked about this, he released an editorial about two weeks ago. It was the Sunday before Labor Day. He released an editorial saying that he would protect abortion rights for the first trimester, and then he thought there could be some regulations, even bans after the first trimester. But this ad, you know, a couple things to point out. I've never seen a governor get so involved in legislative races where he's cutting ads for candidates. He's really bought in to preserving Republicans' simple majority versus giving them a supermajority. It's also interesting because I, I dug around this week, talked to some Republicans and Democrats over on the House side. They're not seeing Governor Cooper in any House districts running ads like this. It seems that Governor Cooper is focusing on that Senate and the House is just going to have to take care of itself. Well, from a purely numbers standpoint, if you were going to focus on one chamber, you would focus on the Senate. The numbers are better. And we've heard that this is, again, speculation by a few on the inside uh, running campaigns that there might be a feeling among House Democrats that they're less reliable than Senate Democrats, that they seem to have the team that they've recruited and helped win in primaries. We can note that that the governor feels like he's going to plant his flag on the Senate side. You see that in votes on the House side, especially if you think about budgets. Yep. The budgets usually get into the 80s on the House side. And keep in mind, there are 69 Republicans on the House side currently. And on the Senate side, it is sometimes one or two people, but no more than that, that vote with Republicans. Just because Governor Cooper is not involving himself directly in House legislative races. We are seeing some mail in Representative Robert Reeves's race. Now, Representative Reeves is the House Democratic leader and very well respected among Republicans and Democrats. It's interesting that Democrats are having to defend and spend the money they are. We're seeing a couple mailers go out on behalf of Representative Reeves. 
it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because we know really the House Democratic leadership this year, in addition to Representative Reeves, Representative Deb Butler, who I believe is the number two over on the House side, they are in tough, tough races, as indicated by the number of mailers that we saw drop this week. So we spent a little bit of time this week too, Sky, looking at some campaign finance numbers just to see what the top fundraisers are on the Senate and House side. These spreadsheets came out of a Carolina Journal article, and so we just took a little look at the top fundraisers in both the House and the Senate and in both the Republican and Democratic realm. Let's start with the Senate Republicans Senate President Pro Tem, Phil Berger, $1.4 million. No shocker there. But number two, Senator Jim Perry came in at $988,000 raised. And then Brent Jackson, number three, $613,000. On the Democratic side, Senator Jay Chaudhary, who is the whip for the Senate Dems, he raised $415,000. Candidate running in that Wake-Granville district, Mary Wills Bodie, she raised half a million dollars. And Sydney Batch, also in Wake County, raised $470,000. Two things to note here. Uh, one, Senator Dan Blue, who is the Democratic leader in the Senate, is not among your top fundraisers. And the Mary Bodie fundraising numbers, being the top fundraiser, uh, along with Senator Sidney Batch, would certainly explain why we are seeing them on TV in what feels like an endless loop of commercials. Now let's talk about the House. Speaker Moore coming in at $1.6 million, top fundraiser among all legislators. And then his number two, House Majority Leader, John Bell, $396,000. Representative Jason Sane, $260,000. And then House Rules Chairman Destin Hall, $218,000. Over on the Democratic side, Representative Robert Reeves raised $254,000. And Representative Brian Farkas raised $200,000. Again, a district that Republicans are targeting. It's been a tough district for years. Impressive. Now, again, let's point out Representative Reeves raising essentially a quarter of a million dollars. Now, usually what these leaders are doing, they're raising money and then they're dispersing this money to their allies in their party to help them win their races. This allows them to come back in the new session and they'll get, you know, elected as a leader. And this goes for Republicans. This goes for Democrats. But according to the mailers we saw and what we're hearing on the ground in Representative Reeves's district, which is down there in Lee County, that Chatham County area, he's got to be spending a lot of what he's raising on his own campaign as it seems to have turned into a swing district. And, you know, there's also this bigger lesson. You know, this past year, it was noticeable that Democrats failed to recruit a slate for all 170 seats. So let's take Senator Jim Perry here. He has no opponent, and he's raising $988,000 I would think that just about every single penny he has raised of that nearly $1 million will be spread out across the state to help Republicans get elected. In our weekly segment of Who's Running for Governor, (laughs) (laughs) our current state treasurer, Dale Falwell, announced last Friday that he planned on running for governor. He's not official yet. He said he would make a decision after the November election, but he's getting a lot of encouragement from Republicans, he said, uh, as well as the State Employees Association of North Carolina. They love him over there. And he took some shots, I believe, at Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, the presumed front runner for the Republican nomination. Falwell said he's focused on policy solutions, not rage, uh, referencing 
some of the speeches that Lieutenant Governor Robinson has made and caught on video. I think a lot of folks, we've talked to legislators and political operatives in the state, and a lot of folks are scratching their head. They, you know, Lieutenant Governor Robinson is beloved by the base of the Republican Party. And in a primary, it is essentially Republican voters. Can Dale Falwell overcome this personality of Mark Robinson? Now, we can kind of delve into an unsubstantiated rumor. It's been mentioned that U.S. Senator Tom Tillis is looking at this race as well. I think we've talked about it before, but folks are thinking that maybe he's positioning himself to be moderate for the state. But then again, always your follow-up question is, can he get through a primary? A lot of credit in taking out Congressman Madison Cawthorn after his only term in Congress. A lot of that has been credited to some organizations affiliated with Senator Tillis. And that was a burn them down campaign. We saw what happened to Congressman Cawthorn, uh, the videos that were released, the, the emails, the text messages. I suspect that if Senator Tillis gets in this race, we will see a burn them down campaign coming after Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who has plenty of things to talk about. He just released his book, the three bankruptcies, the not filing taxes, not knowing about his taxes. That, I am sure, will be in front of our TVs and computer screens over the next year if Senator Tillis is getting in this race. As always. Feel free to send us your rumors. <laughs> yeah, we love your rumors. We were talking about healthcare issues, and it seemed fitting to sit down with Senator Jim Bergen this week, talk about that, where his passion comes from, and much more. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Jim Bergen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district? Why do you think your district is special? I represent District 12, which is Harnett, Lee, and part of Johnston County right now. After the election, it'll be Harnett, Lee, and, and three precincts in Sampson County. I jokingly tell people that I represent the smile under Wake County, and we <laughs> smile because we don't have to live in Wake County. <laughs> so, um, you know, people in Wake County know what I mean. And, and uh, but, but it's just, just a great district, wonderful people. Uh, Ann and I have lived in Harnett County for 37 years. I, I originally grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, went to the University of Tennessee, and went to work for a billion-dollar company right out of college, and or actually while I was still in college, and, and they moved us all over the place. And when we had our first child, I was traveling all the time, and I said, I don't want to keep doing this. And so we moved to Harnett County, uh, her hometown, and ended up buying a business there. And starting other businesses and got into the real estate and cars and and uh, just have had a blessed life. So where did you meet your wife? I met her on a blind date in Greensboro, North Carolina. Wow. I had um, taken this job. It was a company called Dairyman Incorporated. We owned Flavor Ridge Farm Best, Earler's Candies, and all those companies. It was a, like I said, a billion-dollar company. And they moved me from Knoxville to Greensboro, and so I was director of marketing in that division at that time. A guy that worked with me had a friend that he was dear friends with, and they were both talking, and he knew me, and she knew Ann, and they said these folks would be perfect together. So we met on a blind date, uh, a spaghetti dinner, and we got married eight months later, and we've been married 42 years. And you have kids, we have grandkids. Three, three millennials. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so I know a lot about millennials and study millennials and love millennials. And, and then we have four grandchildren, a 10, 
an eight, I just turned five, and a two. Now you talk about Harnett County not being Wake County or in Wake County, but Harnett County is seeing a lot of growth over my years. It's huge. It's uh, something that people don't realize. 64% of the workforce of Harnett County leaves the county every day. So we really need jobs in, in Harnett County. And one of the things that I've been doing is talking to folks about how do we pull more, um, you know, more good paying jobs and, and, and more companies into Harnett County. We don't need just rooftops. The problem with rooftops is for every rooftop, you end up with 1.8 children. So right now we have about a $300 million need for school construction. And, and that's just not sustainable in a rural county. You know something about school construction because you were on the county commission in yes, Harnett sir. County, chaired the commission for yes, a sir. time. Was that the beginning of your political career? It was. I um, I'd been asked to run for political office for many years, and I said I never would while our children were at home. And so when my son, he's the youngest, when he was uh, a senior in high school, he was still 17, but a senior, I decided to, they kept asking, and I said, okay, I'll run, but I'll only serve two terms. Okay. And um, so I did and won and served my two terms and stepped away, and I've never been back to a commissioner meeting. Have you always been involved in local politics? Yes, I, I I uh, went to my first, well, I, I'm a fourth-generation Republican. A lot of people in East Tennessee are Republican. And, but my ancestors actually were from North Carolina. They're from the old Ford area. So I have my four-time great-grandfather served in the House and the Senate, and his name was Merritt Bergen. And um, you can go look him up in the, in the books. I didn't even realize it when I first ran for Senate. I was talking to my brother, who's our family historian, and he said, well, you know, we have a relative that was in the North Carolina legislature. And I said, no, I didn't know that. So I went down to the library, looked it all up, and, and he's in the journals, and, and uh, you can go read about him. Oh, wow. I, went, I made sure he didn't run any really bad legislation. <laughs> Check on that. Check on that. <laughs> so the transition from county commission to the Senate, what was part of your thinking there? I think it was the best thing in the world is training for me. So many okay. things that I learned and was exposed to and, and and folks that I talked to, I got some great experience. And, and I think it's really hard for somebody to come to the legislature if they haven't been a mayor or a school board member or a county commissioner or something. The way you run meetings, the parliamentary rules, uh, all the all the different aspects of, of governance is, is learned there. So uh, I tell the folks at the Association of County Commissioners, they did me a great uh, service and you know I served on their board and Got to know Kevin Leonard, great, you know, great mm-hmm. friend and a good guy. And we talk still, and it, it was a good experience. So I would encourage, if you're interested in being in the legislature, get involved in local politics first. It'll save you a lot of grief later on. <laughs> <laughs> if folks listen and have heard of you, they probably know you as a healthcare guy yeah. in the legislature. Can you talk about your passion for healthcare? I realized, well, I'm in, I, I'm in insurance, and I sell insurance. Uh, have for 32 years and and um but but just in life i I found that if you're not healthy and and i include mental health in that because Mm -hmm. you can't be healthy and have you know a mental health issue or and and your physical health and they're so tied together now that i think that's what we've got to do is to tie those together but but you know it just started years ago I, i i would meet people that had health issues and saw the effect it had on them not only their physical, but mental and their financial health. And I saw this in the county and I saw it other places in rural North Carolina where you have a lot of people that don't have access to, to some of the other health care that you do in Wake County and Durham and other places with the big facilities. You know, I think my passion for mental health just came from knowing people and watching struggles. I actually had a brother-in-law that was in Vietnam that, um, you know, just was real troubled. He was, he was bipolar and would take medication and then get off medication and take medication. And finally, my sister had to, to leave. The, you know, he was not he was not physically abusive, but just, you know, just and she has a, a daughter, my niece. And, and so they actually moved in with my parents and one night just sat down in the kitchen and killed himself, just shot oh. himself. And, and I've seen this over and over of people that get to a point in their life where they decide it's not worth living. We when I was in uh, high school and then college, I. I worked at Sears Roebuck and Company in Knoxville, Tennessee. I've worked for them. I mean, they were great to me. They let me work any hours I wanted to. I worked for them all during college. And there was a young fellow that was 
married and he was one of the other managers and you know it's in a but it's in a bad marriage and would tell me about stuff and one night his wife refused to come pick him up mm. at work they had one car and, and so he was walking home he lived you know a couple of miles away from the store he just stepped in front of a car and killed himself oh, wow. and so you know those kind of things and I, I could tell you there's multiple stories as I've thought back about Mm-hmm. Your question about why am I passionate about it? Stories like that. We had a youth leader at our church in Knoxville that um, all of us thought everything was great. And one morning, one Sunday morning, he didn't show up and they found him in his car in the garage. He had just mm-hmm. left the door down, turned on the car and, and died. And so, you know, as I've started thinking and reading and studying about why people make those decisions, they're not thinking right. And, and, then that led me into what do we do about it? And so I think I'm on a quest for us to be the most healthy uh, state, both mental health and physical health. And one of the things I'm going to do is lose some weight. You know, I've been, <laughs> I've been at too many meetings, been sitting around talking too much. And I told my wife the other day, I, you know, I need to lose some weight. And if I'm going to expect people to be healthy, I'm gonna, I need to be healthier. Mm. But I don't smoke, drink, or chew. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but I do enjoy food. Was this something that you were working on at the county commission level? Because I know they have some, they have a health department that they're responsible for. Mm. Or is it something where you came to the Senate and you saw an opening for you to make change? I actually served on a hospital board for 15 years and we That's had a 25 bed mental health facility. Okay. And I saw the real need for people to have access to mental health care. Part of mental health care, I think, is counseling. I think we need a lot more counseling. I think we need more counseling in schools. We're trying to do something about that. I met with uh, some of the folks that from the um, that are school psychologists. We, we need more school psychologists. You know, we started 988 just recently, mm-hmm. and North Carolina was ranked the second best prepared state to launch mm-hmm. 988. I was with uh, in Atlanta with the CDC. Uh, the week before it launched and and i mean everybody there was saying you know north carolina's done a great job so i encourage people if you have an issue and you know you're thinking about um, either harming yourself or you know somebody that is call 988 Uh, they they have folks that'll answer the phone and help you and direct you to services this leads me to think about the pandemic and kids mental health during the pandemic that's only been exasperated during this time right I can tell you story after story. I had a gentleman, and, and I have his permission to talk about this, but had a 16-year-old daughter, um, very social, everything, all of a sudden can't be with her friends, can't go to school, all that. Well, she tried to kill herself. Mm. He called me one Saturday morning, and, and um, she was in Atrium in, in Charlotte. She'd been there eight days. They couldn't find any place for her to go, so she was involuntarily committed, which means they couldn't take her home. They couldn't do anything. And he called me, and I was able to call some folks and, and get her into a facility. But it shouldn't take a senator having to call folks to get somebody in a facility. We ought to have a program that, that handles those situations for everybody equally. I tell folks, I want government to be like Chick-fil-A. I want it to be where you get prompt service, you get a great product, and people that, that enjoy uh, serving you. We have a colleague that has worked with you, Christy Jones. She does work for the Head Start. She talks about how... You're very conservative, but does it find you partisan? You started a caucus, the Early Childhood Caucus, with Representative Ashton mm-hmm. Clemens over on the House side. You also have developed a very strong working relationship with Health and Human Services Secretary Cody Kinsley, who, by the way, was on the podcast earlier this year and talked about how much he admired you. He considered you a friend. Uh, and a partner in what you both are trying to achieve. Can you talk a little bit about who sure. you are and yeah. f- philosophically and how you go about solving problems? I am very conservative, and I'm, pr- I'm a person of faith. You know, I think that, that my Christian faith drives a lot of the things, and you know, and I, I, I wear these bracelets all the time and give them away. I've given, I just ordered 4,000 more. It says pray first on it okay. because I think we need to pray for ourselves, but I think we need to pray, you know, I, I prayed about you all before I came here. I said, I hope they're nice to me. And no, <laughs> no I didn't. I did. I, I've, I've <laughs> met you all, know what great people you are. But, but I, I, I have a philosophy that, number one, I'll talk to anybody about anything. Okay. I think that's a, you, you got to have relationships with folks. And, and two, I'm always going to be civil, and I'm always going to... My, my goal when I get through with being a senator is I want to say he was... I want people to say he was a statesman, and he was always civil. And and if I can do that, and 
and, and get some good legislation passed and and um, you know I'll, I'll consider it a, a, a success mm-hmm. but let's talk about Cody a minute because yeah. Cody and I are dear friends Very, you, know? Yeah. Uh, you know we don't necessarily agree on everything but but early on when I first got up here and somebody heard that I was involved in or wanted to be involved in mental health and I talked to Senator Berger about mental health I told him I said I want to be the mental health guy if you, if you needed somebody to work on mental health and Cody heard about it and, and I talked to Mandy Cohen about it and so Cody and I sat down and started talking and just developed a friendship and and we talk a lot because we just are both uh, concerned about stuff I'm proud of him and his uh, position that he's attained I, I spoke on the floor about him that I supported him and, and I continue to support him I think Cody's doing it N- number one he listens you know he's concerned and uh, he has a lot of empathy and, and he responds you know he has helped me just so many times to solve complex situations uh, I enjoy working with Cody for listeners who are unaware Cody Kinsley is a, works for Democratic governor Roy Cooper obviously you're a Republican it must be one of those things where you just focus on the task at hand there's a lot of politics going on above Cody that or I should say Secretary Kinsley uh, you just put that out and you just work on mental health and health care and and you know the, the relationship is the important thing and, right. and I think that you know we've developed a, a really good relationship I tell folks you know it's it's like a lake and and you've got a canoe and you and I need to go to, to you know across the lake now we can do one of two things we can get in the canoe and we can start beating each other up with paddles Mm-hmm. Or we can start rowing, and you know what probably is going to happen if it's mm-hmm. a big enough lake. By the time we get across the other way, we're going to find something we have in common. That's right. And so Cody and I found a lot of things we have in common. We're working on those things. The things we don't have in common, we talk about. We still love each other, and you know, tell each other, you know, we're gonna we're gonna work together on these things. But but um, you know, we don't always agree. You are a believer in term limits. I yes, believe sir. you've called for voluntary term limits. You think legislation? I actually have a bill that, oh, that, okay. I, that it, it hasn't it hasn't made it to the it hasn't made it out of rules yet. And, and if if Senator Ravens listen to this, I hope maybe it will. <laughs> and uh, but uh, it actually sets up a commission. It's a constitutional amendment. Uh, our job would be to appoint the folks to do it. But I have some guidelines. I, th- I think we ought to look at, number one, legislative pay has got to be fixed. 13900 is, you know, and I've, I've talked to folks all over the country. Um, there's some people believe we need to keep it low so that, you know, only retired people or wealthy people. I, I, I think it ought to be something reasonable. My recommendation is starting teacher pay. A lot of people think we make $174,000 right. and they think we go to Washington every week. And because and, right. I'll have people ask Ann, well, how does Jim like Washington? She said he's, he doesn't. You know, <laughs> he, doesn't, he wouldn't go. And, and, uh, but um, I think we need to have, um, uh, I think we need to change the length of the term to four years. Mm-hmm. I think we need to change legislative pay. The, um, the mileage needs to be federal mileage rate. My recommendation would be, um, and, but, but the, this commission would have to do it, and then it would be voted on by the people and be a constitutional amendment. That way, you know, they decide. If they don't want to do it, that's fine. I think mm-hmm. the people, the voters, taxpayers ought to decide. But it would have term limits um, uh, of twelve, of 16 years. I think 12, I have 12 self-imposed, but I, I made it 16 years, and that's 16 from that date. So if you had somebody who had already been 10 years, they could stay 16 more years. Oh, and also time period. 120 days long session, 90 days short session, period certain. So if you're in the middle of a conversation and the, the clock tolls, you're through. Right. I just think that, you know, we were up there 15 months, and, yeah. and that's just too long. You, you, everybody was having to move everything and change everything and between vacations and birthdays, and I think it would open up more people to actually be able to participate in the process. Senator Hugh Webster, former senator from Alamance County, died in the last year, actually, uh, was a big proponent of raising legislator pay. It ultimately got him in a campaign. Yeah. To, now that's what people tell me, is yeah. that, that it, any incumbent that votes for it, they said it'll be used against you. Yeah. And so what I told him, I said, look, I, I, I'm not doing this for you know a lifetime. I'm here for a short time. And, and I said, well, just blame it all on me. You know, just, yeah. but, but did you know... I think every Republican and every Democrat in office today would vote for this oh, yeah. because it fixes so many things. You know, we, we go, we campaign 
And right after this November election, guess what we start doing again? Yeah. Campaign. That's right. Because every two years is just, and I think the people would appreciate that. They, they, you know, because we go back to them every time and, and try to get them to have fundraisers for us and, you know, donate to us and support us. And, and I, I think they'd rather see us work. Between your state service, your businesses, your community service, you're active in a lot of different areas. Can you talk about one thing that you've worked on that you're really proud of? The pharmacy bill I thought was a really good bill that that I worked on with Representative Sasser and others. And we had 28,000 abortions in the state last year. And, you know, so I met with a lot of folks, a, a a lot of Democratic friends. And and I said, let's not talk about Roe versus Wade. Let's just talk about the fact that an abortion is a bad, uh, it's bad for the, the, the woman that has, I think she would rather not have it. And we know what the outcome is for the, for the baby. So let's just agree, how, how do we approach doing fewer abortions? If we can help eliminate the need for an abortion, isn't that a good idea? And, and out of that came the conversation of, well, you know, a lot of women get pregnant, but they're unplanned pregnancies. So what if we make contraceptives available uh, a lot easier? And so that led to this um, bill that we did. We had included a lot of other things in it, too. But, but right now in the state of North Carolina, well, let me back up. 23 counties in North Carolina do not have an OBGYN. 20 don't have a pediatrician, and 31 don't have a psychiatrist. Guess what every county has? At least one pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So if we've got all of these pharmacists out there who have a lot of medical training, you know, and I'm not saying to turn them into doctors, but there's certain things we can do under standing orders. So now a woman can walk into any pharmacy in the state of North Carolina and get any of the hormonal contraceptives. Now, it, they, I've had people that accuse me of whether they can get the morning after pill or they can get, you know, um, some of the abortive, you know, uh, contraceptives. No, it's none of that. It's just hormonal contraceptives. So, I, you know, I, I thought, well, if, if that is something that we can do that would help, then it's a, it's a good and worthy thing to do. The other thing, smoking cessation, um, uh, uh, long-term injectables for mental health and opioid. I was just visiting with folks uh, over at PRISM uh, about opioids and visiting with one of the psychiatrists that deal, has, has some nine clinics and deals with opioids, and, and he's a big proponent of long-term injectables for both mental health and for opioid treatment. So now you could go into a pharmacy and they can actually give you the injection. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to pay another expense. And and it's really meant to try to help folks. On that pharmaceutical bill, did you find that when you had conversations with Democrats that they were wanting to work with you on this issue? It was a unanimous vote in the Senate. Wow, that's good. Let me ask you about your faith. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Was there a time in your life where became important to you or is it something you've always grown up with where does this faith come from well growing up in knoxville and and i mean i don't ever remember a time when we didn't go to church my, my mother was a big driving force but dad was there too now dad you know i've got i've got three siblings i'm the youngest of four and and my mother didn't work until i was about 12 or 13 so dad worked a lot i mean i can remember him having one job or two jobs and he was in construction he ended up being a you know running a construction company and and doing some some really good things and you know there was never a time that we weren't involved in church i mean sunday morning sunday night wednesday night Uh, i got saved when i was nine years old i still remember that conversation remember holding on to the pew thinking Mm -hmm. it's time to go but i you know (laughs) am i gonna make it i read my bible i i believe that god uh, has a plan for all of us i think he really you know, he wants us to, to love each other and support each other and try to do what's best for each other. And, and um, you know, I just, I just think that, that one of the problems we have is, is a sense of hopelessness right now, and especially among young people. And when I was in Atlanta uh, visiting with the CDC, there was a rear admiral there, and I cannot remember his name right now. I've got it in my phone. But, and he was talking about the number of, of suicides among young people. And and the, the suicides in the 13 to 15-year-old category are up 60%. Mm. And that ought to really be a wake-up call for a lot of us. But he was talking about it, and he said one of the things they kept hearing over and over was a sense of hopelessness among young people. And I think that's because they don't 
have hope because they don't have Christ. Mm. And I think that's where we need to really try to focus a lot of attention. And I'm, I, look, I, I don't want to go out here and have people say, no, you know, Jim, just trying to make everybody a Christian and all that. But I, but I do want people to know there is hope. Mm. And, and, you know, whatever your religious beliefs are, I, I, th- I think that you have to have something bigger than you that you believe in. And, and if you don't, then I think, what's the purpose? You know, and I think we all need to have, you know, a sense of purpose and something we want to accomplish in life. And I'm not through. I don't, you know, my people ask Ann if, if I'll ever retire, and she'll say he'll never retire. The word retire is not in the Bible. And, okay. I, I, and I, I've, I've talked to seminary students. I've talked to deans of seminary schools. You can ask all the people at Campbell University. I spoke at, at um, one of their graduations, and I said it, and they all agreed with me. The word retire is not in the Bible. We're supposed to do different things during different seasons. And I think that uh, we as Christians need to, to be the folks that kind of set the example. So you have imposed a 12-year yes, term limit. I'll be halfway through. If I win this time and finish this term, I'll be halfway through. Future plans for political office? You said you're, you're not retiring. Person. Oh, I'm not going to retire, and I'm <laughs> okay. not going to tell you what I will or won't do. I do have, I, I love this political process. Okay. You know, working on hard, complex things to me is fun. And, and I, I've told Senator Berger and other folks, you give me the stuff nobody else wants, and I'll work on it. Because I think that that's where you learn the most, and I think that's where I, I get the most satisfaction, is taking something, because I'm a pretty simple guy, but I am pretty good at taking complex things and trying to make them simple. And mm-hmm. I have a, I've told staff, I said, I don't want to do any bills that are more than 10 pages long because I want people to read them. Okay. And I think that's an, a, a real important thing. And, you know, I had a meeting. I had three lawyers and three staff on the phone the other day or on a Zoom call, and we were talking about a bill I'm working on. And I, I challenged them to get it less than 10 pages, and they said they thought they could. Uh, and it's going to be a, a very interesting bill that, that uh, I'm excited <laughs> about. I've, I've got a lot of legislation that I'm working on that, that I think is going to be good good legislation, and I think it will move the state forward. But to answer your question, I don't rule anything out. I, I like the process. I, I, uh, I, I really enjoy the relationships, and, you know, you've probably heard the story. I, I went and met with every Council of State member, every Cabinet member, plus the head of the Highway Patrol, and the head of DMV and uh, did an interview with each one of them right after I got elected. And, and those relationships still pay dividends. I, um, I spent uh, all day with Secretary of Transportation a week before last going to, to Wilmington and then Rocky Mount and other places looking at things and talking. And it's because we spent an hour together when he was over at IT, became friends and have maintained that friendship and same thing with the attorney general spent time with him spent time with the commerce secretary the new the new commerce secretary when she was over administration and also with the governor and uh, people asked me what did i learn and i said i learned three things because i asked them all the same questions and then i asked them for advice and the three things were let your word be your bond Hmm. become an expert in in your field keep your promises keep your relationships and, uh, you know, and just work hard and, 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 and do a good job at this stuff. And, you know, it's paid off. Those relationships have, have really paid off. That really leads into our last question. As you're aware, our politics are divided. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics, what would it be? We don't need to be calling each other names. We need to be civil. Everybody's got their take on and, and their beliefs. But at the same time, I think there are certain things that all of us, all of us want the best for our kids. You know, mm-hmm. now how do we get there? That's, you know, I might think that it ought to be certain things taught in school. Somebody else might think it ought to be other things taught in school. But at the end of the day, we need to do the research, decide what is the best thing for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the civility, I, I think, you know, just just turn, turn it down. You know, we don't mm-hmm. have to argue about everything and, and uh you know, I've, I've been married 42 years. As I said, you, there's a lot of things you learn. Uh, there's a lot of things you learn from experience, uh, from marriage, and from children. Yeah. And I tell folks the things that I learn the most from are the things that cost me the most as far as business. You know, you don't want to make a bad mistake but once. And, and, but but I, I hope that as we go into another session this next year that all of us will take a breath and not be so quick to criticize and, you know, to... to and you don't have to have all these conversations in public. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I find that, that 
that if I've got a problem, if, Scott, if I had a problem with you, you know who the first person's going to know? You. Because mm-hmm. that's biblical. You know, it says if you have a problem with somebody, you go to them first. And then if you can't resolve that, then you get somebody else and you go back. And, and I tell people that almost every week. They approach me with something, and the first thing I ask them is, have you talked to that person? And if they say no, I say, well, I can't talk to you about it till you talk to that person. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to all do that. Well, Senator Jim Bergen, we appreciate everything you are doing in North Carolina politics to make us healthy. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. It's been enjoyable. Thank you for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. This was another podcast interview where we finish recording and we just keep talking for close to an hour with Senator Bergen afterwards. We learned so much about him. And, you know, something that I think I will never forget, Sky, is that as Senator Bergen was leaving yesterday, he stopped and asked us if he could say a prayer for us. I've never had that happen in North Carolina politics. I really appreciated it. And it was a nice prayer for our safety and the success of the podcast. And it was a great moment. And we appreciate Senator Bergen for the prayer, for visiting with us at the office. Thank you, sir. Tweet Tweet of of the the week. week. This week's tweet of the week is from someone named Gabby Zutra at Goblin BB. And I will note that a lot of North Carolina political folks retweeted this. It has quite a lot, 559 retweets Mm. and over 7,000 likes. And the tweet is, I'm afraid to go to therapy because what if they fix me and I stop working in politics? (laughs) Folks who work in politics, we're a little different than other professions, don't you think? I don't know, because I always think like in other professions, they probably think that too. Like there's just weird people everywhere. I think we're especially weird. Why? I don't know. There's a lot of dysfunction that I think we get used to day to day. I mean, it's an industry that works off rumors. There's a lot of games being played and we seem to think it's normal. And the personalities, like the folks, lobbyists, legislators, even staffers, staffers actually seem the most normal. There's just these oversized personalities in politics. Take a long look in the mirror, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I admit it. When I'm talking to my friends and they're talking about working at SAS or Cisco or you know, they just we get it. You live in Cary, right? We definitely live in Cary. Like, yeah, I, I was at a neighborhood gathering Saturday, and they were talking about code and all this. I'm like, "What are you guys? If we're talking code, I'll just go somewhere else and talk." And yeah. you, you'll go talk to the ladies. I go talk to them. Yeah, because they're talking <laughs> politics. That is true. They are talking politics these days. Speaking of your neighborhood. Yet another update on the softball league. Someone was so excited on Monday night. I get an immediate text. Yeah. And we had to miss the insider event so you could go to your softball game. We won 13 to 3. So I asked you, your record is now 1 and? 8. You said 9 yesterday. Oh, oh, we play tonight. So I'm sorry. It'll be 1 and 9 tonight. (laughs) You gotta have a positive attitude. I actually do have a positive attitude. We only played with nine players. You know, you can play with ten players in softball, but it, I think we were better playing with nine people. That actually helped us, and I got the winning RBI. Yeah. People and are calling you the hero. I scored my wife, and uh, she played at the winning run. So oh, we're wow. we're excited. Yeah, he's was, so proud right now. Uh-huh, I was a hero. Yeah, wow. Uh, thank you for your congratulations, bringing it up on the podcast, for <laughs> sticking with this guy. I know you're a big fan of Carry Me Home, our softball team, and look forward to reports of future success. I want to talk about you, though. Oh, do I? 
you started volunteering this week. You're, you're always been a volunteer. Yeah, since you, you make fun of me for it. Thanks for bringing that up. Make fun. But you know, you, you read to students. And how, how did your kick off this year? Because you know, it's a new academic year. So you started volunteering this week. So this is a different program than what I usually right, do. Right. I've been doing that program through the Bar Association for six years. But this program is like you mentor a kid and it lines up with the North Carolina curriculum. You kind of say what subjects you want to help with. And they only assign you one kid and you have that kid the entire time. My other reading program. You have them the whole year? Yeah. Okay. My other reading program, I've got three kids and you don't get as much time with them. Okay. So I get the whole time with this kid. Hilarious. The first thing we did, he's in fourth grade. So the first thing you do is like a little worksheet where you ask questions and we both answer so you can learn about each other. Like, you know, what's your favorite food? And we get to this one. It's like, I really like, and he said, oh, now we're talking about my girlfriend. (laughs) Fourth grade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, are we? And he told me her name and how long they've been dating. Okay. <laughs> and then there's one that's like, I get annoyed when, and I don't remember what his answer was, but then he said, and I've got one for you. Do you have siblings? I said, yeah, do you have siblings? And he said, yeah. And sometimes when we share my mom's phone, she takes the phone and then I get in trouble with it. And then I'm grounded for five weeks. I was like, yeah, that is a good one that I could write (laughs) for the idea. And I said, how old is your sister? He said, which one? And I said, whichever one you're talking about. And he said, five. And she's the most selfish person I've ever met. (laughs) Uh, But he was so entertaining. I told you, I was like, I know I'm already going to fall in love with him. So this is an after school program? Yeah. Okay. It's it's actually on our street, um, a few blocks down. But the kids come, I think, all week. Oh, wow. And they have different volunteers come in. I went outside. He showed me his bike. He was pretty proud of his bike. Is this a weekly program? Yeah. So I'll do it on Mondays for an hour. Now, are you still doing Big Brothers, Big Sisters? No, my little moved away. Oh. I know. So you said after the interview with Senator Bergen this week, you said, you know, he really makes me want to be a better person. You're making me want to be a better person. I really should volunteer Yeah, you should. Yeah. Just do something. I coached baseball after college and loved it. Uh, And then when the kids were growing up, I volunteered. But yeah, I need to do some. I need to get back to that. Let me give you some ideas. You can do Meals on Wheels. Very rewarding. Mm -hmm. And it only takes like an hour to deliver the meals. And then the food bank, they also have like a boxed food thing that you can go and you can deliver. I'll check it out. I do need to do something. And if you're thinking about volunteering, then reach out to Sky. She has a <laughs> list of resources here for everyone who can make a difference in their community. As always, we appreciate y'all listening, laughing along with us, and telling us what you like and dislike about the podcast. Be sure to leave us a review, a five-star rating, or whatever you please. And we will talk to you again next week. In the meantime, please remember to do politics better. Are you counting us down? All right. One. You're like John Bell. Come on. <laughs> One, two, three. Tweet, Tweet of, of the week. week.